0: Support for this Returns on Investment podcast comes from Wonder Capital, an easy way to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you help finance renewable energy and earn up to 7.5% a year. To learn more, visit wondercapital.com ROI. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital. Invest in solar projects. Do well and do good.
1: From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. I'm coming to you from New York. With me here is Imogen Rose-Smith, an investment fellow with the University of California.
0: Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian.
1: And joining us from Los Angeles is David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. Imogen, how are you? Good.
0: We're good. I'm. I'm surprised to see you in LA, not not San Francisco.
1: I guess it's the old adage: you can take the boy out of San Francisco, but you can't take him out of California. Uh,
2: actually, I'm from. i I grew up in LA, so I am a California boy, and I'm. I came back down, uh, with our family for the our son's spring break.
1: Yeah. Well, what what better way to kick off spring break than talking about impact investing? There's nothing like a little
2: podcasting on spring break.
1: All right. Well, on today's show, we're going to talk about corporations turning their attention to impact. We've seen an uptick in corporate venture capital taking a look at impact deals. What do we mean by corporate venture capital? It's simply when large established companies make venture investments in outside startup companies. It's growing business. Corporate venture investments topped $31 billion in 2017, up 18% from the year before. This is across 1,800 deals, according to CB Insights. Imogen, let's start at the beginning. Why do companies make these kind of deals in the first place?
0: So for growth-focused corporations, this is really a basic part of R&D, right? There, there is two ways that you can grow. You can build stuff in-house, or you can invest in stuff outside. And we've seen an increase in the amount that corporations are investing in external businesses. And that's you know for a couple of reasons. One is that the sort of great internal innovators of old have sort of dismantled a lot of what they do. So you used to have sort of Xerox was famous for doing this. Um, IBM, Edison, they did a lot of this sort of R&D in-house. That no longer exists. You're seeing much more of it happen externally. Secondly, corporations have a lot of cash on hand. Therefore, it's easier for them to invest and buy. And thirdly, we're in an innovation boom right so the idea of the startup is huge right now it makes sense that people want to start startups more than they want to be inside corporations and it makes sense that corporations would be looking to invest in more of these startup innovators
1: so again the these investments uh that companies are making into startups is separate and it's distinct from or it's a subset rather of venture capital overall And, and the driver here is not necessarily just to Uh, have a return on those investments, but really to provide strategic value to the company itself.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to invest in something because there is a strategic alignment with what I want to do. So for an obvious example is an energy company that wants to invest in green tech. It might be something that I'm not good at doing internally, but I recognize that my business wants to grow in that direction. So I'm going to go out and buy that business.
1: Right. This is also, a, if you will, a subset of mergers and acquisitions, or it's a, it's a prelude to potentially uh, buying companies outright. So it's making smaller, early early stage venture style deals in these kind of companies.
0: Yeah. it's. I mean, you're not investing in established companies, you're investing in startup companies. So in that regard, it's different from how we traditionally think about an M&A.
1: And so the strategic value for companies, it's as you were saying, it's in, access to new markets or new technologies or new business models or uh, increasingly talent.
0: Yeah. I mean, people is a big part of it. Yeah.
1: So, David, you've now identified a trend where some companies are using this tool, the corporate venture capital tool, to look at impact deals. What are some examples and what's really driving this?
2: Well, I mean, it's just exactly what Imogen said. It's it's impact kind of as a subset of innovation. It's companies wanting to find you know access to new markets, access to new technologies, new business models, um, and of course, you know the cynics and 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 <laughs> the curmudgeons might say, you know, greenwashing or or impact washing their own reputations with companies that they can, you know, put on a press release or put into their marketing plans. But you know, leaving that part aside, you know, there are an increasing number of corporate venture capital shops that are at least talking about
1: impact. And what's the driver there? Let's take it at the best case. So let's move beyond the criticisms around social washing or greenwashing or or just marketing spin. Uh, what is the alpha opportunity or the strategic opportunity for companies looking at impact uh, when doing corporate venture capital deals?
2: Well, we, we had Orange, the big French telecom company, tell us that they're considering an, an impact fund. Um, they've already done some, you know, what we might think of as impact investments just out of their General corporate venture fund in a, into a green energy or a, a an off grid energy uh, play in Africa called Phoenix actually just got acquired n- not by them but by another corporate acquirer but they're they are big mobile telecom operator in Africa and and they say you know it's obvious that you need to think about the next billion or the bottom of the pyramid market and so they are looking at companies that can give them visibility into how do you uh, work with those kind of consumers, which is frankly not what most corporates you know, do in their day jobs. So it's that kind of thing. It, it lets you make a relatively low risk bet and get a bunch of insights and, and intelligence into places where your corporate, your main corporate business doesn't necessarily take you.
1: They're also, in a sense, buying optionality, right? So it's, to Imogen's earlier point, it's cheaper to invest in a startup than to acquire a fully baked, fully operational, fully valued company. And so a lot of these uh, corporate venture capital deals are uh, trying to look at what their pipeline is of potential companies to acquire. And instead of paying the full sticker price of a mature company, uh, they can make many more smaller bets by investing in startups.
2: That's actually one of, that's both an advantage, but also a criticism, again, separate from impact, but just of the corporate VC phenomena, which is that the big tech companies and others Um, can get their claws into the startups and possibly, you know, figure out where the threats are coming from and cut them off at the pass.
0: Well, I think that there there is a crossover to impact there, right? Which is, if if you have an impact-focused company that is clear in its intent and its impact, what is the guarantee that that is subsequently followed through by the corporation? Or does it not necessarily matter? So, for example, and this is sort of further along in a, in a company's evolution but when monsanto bought the climate company right and so this was a company that tracked climate patterns uh, so farmers changing climate so that farmers knew how to plant their crops in response to climate change and it had a very sort of green vc friendly ethos behind it and it was a huge deal it was worth like a billion dollars by you know a massive Ag conglomerate that many people consider to be a force for evil in the world. Like, what do you do with that? Is it on the one hand that says actually impact sustainability has made it like this is a viable business that people will pay a lot of money for. On the other hand, you know there is nothing. If we allow companies to do whatever they want, uh, do we lose the ability to apply technology to innovation? As a force for good? Is it possible to keep sort of the impact DNA that these companies start with as they get picked off by larger firms?
1: David, this leads back to your point that uh, in, in some of these corporate venture capital deals, forget about the impact oriented ones, just in general, uh, there is seen to be a misalignment of incentives because you have uh, the entrepreneurs who want to grow and build. Uh, their companies and and kind of create as much financial and unlock as much financial value as possible. And you have the other investors in those companies who are looking to unlock as much financial value as possible. But when you have a company getting involved, uh, they uh, certainly don't mind if they make money, but that's not their main motivation. Their main motivation is to gain this uh, separate strategic value that might be at cross purposes uh, to what the entrepreneur and other outside investors might have for the company. I think is that right?
0: Motivation is to make money. Still, I mean,
1: their, their motivation is to make money, but not necessarily to have uh, a 10x return on the on startup the deals. investment. I agree. Right. Their, their motivation is to make uh, increase the value of their company, not necessarily. You know, if 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 companies were really good at doing CVC, then they would go and set up their own outside VC firms, right?
0: Yeah, uh, they they have they have a different. They have multiple strategic objectives, of which. The economic success of the company they acquire is only a small part, and may not even be the most valuable to them.
1: Right. Their, their goal is to is to grow the value of the larger parent company, not necessarily uh, to to grow the value of the startups they're exactly. investing in.
2: Which is which is what has made other venture capitalists wary of being co investors with these strategic investors. Some in some cases, you know, Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures you know, sort of very, very outspoken venture capitalist said it's doing a deal with the devil for an entrepreneur to get an investment from a corporate strategic venture investor. And it says it either signals that they can't get money anywhere else, or in some cases, the corporate investor is going to pay more because of that strategic alignment, thereby making it more expensive deal or an overvalued deal for the classic venture capital investor. So there's lots of cross currents in this
1: world.
0: I I actually take issue with what Fred Wilson is saying here. I think that corporate VC can be a positive force. And I think that, you know, more exits and more buyers are good for entrepreneurs in general. And I think that this idea that you as an entrepreneur are going to follow the sort of classic VC from startup in your garage in, you know, Silicon Valley to IPO is in and of itself inherently elitist, right? and it's something we've actually been looking into a lot that 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 might work for your twenty year old white male cottage dropout who can fall back on like his parents' garage and has this runway versus let's say you know a working mother who has started a business and is worried about how she's going to feed her family for the next six months, he might actually benefit from and be in a better position to have a faster buyout. I think that you like you end up with very, very narrow parameters for what success looks like if you just follow what what the VC model has become.
2: Well, that's that, that's true, I, I think. And then the other part of it is that these corporates, you know, they are strategic investors. They have various uh, resources that they can bring to bear to help a company be successful. They can be a buyer of that company's products. They can help with the distribution network. They can help with all kinds of engineering and technology development um, that may be outside of the abilities of that startup. So they can propel these startups, you know, much faster than they might otherwise be able to go. So again, it's a mixed bag and the impact part of it just becomes another factor in that whole big mix. So for example, to your point, Brian, about exits, to the extent that the impact is baked into the business, to the product of the company, it's less likely to be diluted when it gets absorbed eventually into the corporate parent. So if you're doing clean energy, you know, presumably the oil company didn't invest in you so that they could make you, you know, part of their oil business. They invested in you because they're interested in moving into clean energy. So there are edge cases where, for example, you're targeting a lower income market as an impact startup. And as you get absorbed into the corporation, they want you to target, you know, a more upscale market, those kind of things. So those are all the, the, the issues that are, are going to come to pass in this world.
0: Although I think you know the, the experience of clean energy in corporate VC is a very interesting one, right? There was a lot of interest, it, because it's very determined by market forces, or it historically has been. So there was a lot of interest in clean energy, actually, ironically, when oil prices were really low. And then when oil prices became really high, the energy companies had much less need to innovate in clean tech and they retrenched. So initiatives and innovations that were underway suddenly just got like frozen and lost all their funding. So, so that's an, a great example of, there is a bit of a deal with the devil when you are entering into these corporate relationships.
1: Okay, well, we're gonna take a quick pause right now for a message from our sponsor. When we come back, more on corporate venture capital.
0: Returns on investment is supported by Wonder Capital, an easy way to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S. Wonder's investors have financed solar projects that offset nearly 75 million pounds of carbon dioxide emissions each year. Visit wondercapital.com/roi to find out how you can invest in solar and earn up to seven and a half percent per year. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital.
2: And we're back. I want to turn the tables on you, Brian, because you are inside a corporation and you've actually got a corporate impact fund. So why don't you tell us what the strategic value is or is not?
1: Well, I, I think that LiquidNet is uh, is a, is in some ways a unique case uh, for this because, yes, we, we do have the LiquidNet for Good Fund, which I chair, which is our donor advised fund uh, that we set up that's managed by Impact Assets. Uh, and this allows us to achieve our impact strategy, uh, not necessarily LiquiNet's corporate strategy. So I'm in charge of impact for Liquidnet. So it's my job to uh, provide the opportunities for employees to make their own mark in the world, and then uh, to really apply LiquiNet's core strengths as a company uh, to social and environmental uh, uh, success.
2: What are, What are some examples of the investments you've made out of the corporate uh, out of the Liquidnet for good fund? <laughs>
0: Oh, I don't know, David. What, what possibly well, <laughs> well, could uh, <laughs> LiquidNet have invested in, that with, the, with which we are deeply familiar? <laughs> uh,
1: so this is the part of the podcast that we get uh, self-reverential. Self-reveren- uh, <laughs> this is I our think, famous podcast yeah, drinking game. Yeah, that where the, I think the snake eats its own tail. Uh, so uh, the, the, one of our key investments uh, was actually into a media company called Impact Alpha. And this helps meet our again. It's not a corporate strategy, but it's uh, our impact strategy. Is we as a company in trying to advance and accelerate the practice of impact investing? We looked at the field and we said, well, there's a lot of things that need to come together to really accelerate this, this market. Uh, one of them is more talent coming into the to the space. One of them is more insights coming into the space. Uh, and one of them is more data coming into the space. And so uh, we've been trying to focus on those three areas. How can we improve the data? Uh, talent and insights uh, for the impact investing market. And so Impact Alpha uh, and also with its impact space database, we see as two key parts of uh, accelerating impact investing by creating a editorial product that helps people make sense of this space and tries to cut through the noise and the white papers and all the conferences to try to help people uh, illuminate uh, what the opportunities are Uh, in a rigorous way and try to help uh, clarify for people who are curious about impact investing but want to see what are the deals as they're happening, how are they actually structured, who's doing what where, how do we start tracking the space. Uh, And and so that's why I see, again, our investment in Impact Alpha and a couple of our other field building investments are are helping to advance our impact strategy, not necessarily Liquinet's corporate strategy.
0: and, And would you say that, generally speaking, you've seen positive returns on investment from your Impact Alpha uh, Deal? Uh, I, I, <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely. I think it's uh, you know we are we are long term <laughs> investors, so I think uh, I think the time will still come. Uh, but you know we we thought that this was we we're doing a, a, essentially meta impact investing. So it's impact investing to advance and accelerate the practice of impact investing.
0: And actually, I mean, I have a genuine question. Do you find that this also helps with recruitment? Like, if one of the real reasons that corporations want to do this is because they see They think that this appeals to, particularly sort of like graduates that they want to hire, is, is this part of liquid? Does this is this part of uh, the appeal of Liquidnet to recruits?
1: Yeah, I I think absolutely it it falls into that. I I don't think necessarily. uh, No offense, David. I don't think necessarily our investment in Impact Alpha is necessarily helping. (laughs) The other day, uh, uh, with, (laughs) with, with who I
0: believe commented on how he likes it when I was mean to David.
1: I think we all like it when you're mean to David, uh, so <laughs> except so, for I mean, me. he was—he was at
0: college. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so but Brian, so that, Brian uh, you've got a
2: you've well, got an impact fund, but you, but it's not a classic corporate VC fund. Um, a company like Salesforce um, ha- set up a, a corporate impact fund that specifically was a corporate venture capital fund, and it was specifically focused on impact, and in fact called impact. And but they've invested in a couple things that have, you know, at least a, a a glancing relationship to their core business. So they invest in a in a company called Veritas that connects community college students with job opportunities and another one called Glassbreakers, which helps companies promote diversity and inclusion. So, you know, Salesforce, a business software company, is helping businesses with their, you know, development and, the, and their and their and broadening their 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 appeal and their and their their practices and that you know presumably you know maybe creates demand or something for salesforce software that's fine if you're if you're a corporate venture capital fund it's fine to get those kind of benefits to the company that's not what you guys do at liquidnet
1: Right, I, I would say that uh, that Liquinet, the Liquidnet for Good Fund, does help advance Liquidnet's corporate strategy in the following way. In the same way that Liquidnet for Good tries to help advance Liquidnet's corporate strategy, which is uh, our main business driver is employee engagement. It helps us uh, with recruitment, retention, and overall employee morale. So that's the main business driver of why we have Liquidnet for Good in the first place. So uh, you know, for the Liquidnet for Good Fund, we have an investment committee uh, comprised of employees uh, who help me review our investments, help me uh, review our portfolio, uh, ha- and help us think through our strategy. Uh, and so that's a, a really hands-on, tangible, uh, high-impact engagement strategy uh, for LiquiNet that we can say, it to our employees and to our prospective employees, you'll get this kind of opportunity at Liquidnet, but nowhere else. So that how it does connect to our corporate strategy. But again, the, the types of investments we're making through the Liquinet for Good Fund um, are, are not necessarily ones that will eventually be connected to Liquidnet's core business. And, and that's in part because the way we structure this is as a DAF, as a donor advised fund. And so legally, we can't uh, because it's, it's philanthropic dollars. So it's, it's a charitable dollars, goes from LiquidNet to Impact Assets, the nonprofit, and then from our fund that ma- is managed by Impact Assets, we invest in companies like Impact Alpha and about 10 other companies we've invested in. Uh, and if there are any returns or when there are returns in those investments, they come back to the LiquidNet for Good Fund that we can then reinvest or grant out to some of our nonprofit partners. But that money will never come back to LiquidNet. So any of these investments uh, have to have a, have a charitable dimension to them in the sense of they're for the public good, uh, so they can't be helping directly helping and in influencing or advancing LiquidNet's commercial interests. Beyond things like employee engagement and the like. Did everybody just fall asleep?
0: Okay. No, no, no. I, so, <laughs> um, but I I do think that the corporate responsibility angle like that that's sort of where these two worlds collide, right? Is what is the corporate responsibility of a corporation? from albeit a liquid net to a Salesforce or a Facebook or whatever it is, and how does the impact of the acquired company match up and feed into that corporate responsibility? And so there's a really interesting, you know, I think Salesforce is a really good example because Salesforce is, is, really stands out as a company that takes its corporate responsibility seriously, particularly in the sort of tech world that we're talking about. And there's a very interesting research paper from a couple of years ago out of Harvard that talks about what is the role of the corporate responsibility officer within a corporation. And it starts off as a compliance function, right? Companies are like, oh, God, you know, all these garment workers are dying and it's terrible. We have to make sure that doesn't happen for legal reasons. Then it moves into the C suite when the CEO starts caring about these kind of issues. And it becomes a sort of a corporate function, which in some ways is arguably where a liquid net is today. Um, and then it becomes a business function. So it becomes this is you know something that actually can be a business opportunity. So Nike is an example that people use. Nike went through this whole this whole evolution, and then they saw business in sort of like sustainability, in like health and wellness, and all of these factors. And that that's a great example of how the things that we care about in, in impact investing can live within a larger c- corporation and be a source of innovation and profit. But I think in order for an impact business to kind of survive it needs within a larger corporation, it needs a company that holds true to that trajectory, which, by the way, is not to say corporations who see ESG, or sustainability, whatever you want to call it, as a positive and a business opportunity can't in turn also be caught up in Negative behaviors.
1: Yeah, I think you're exa- exactly right, Imogen. Uh, and if you want, I can <laughs> you want to record say that, again? that as a, as, a, as your ringtone. But <laughs> Imogen, you're exactly right. Uh, Wait, I, I, I think, think that it's. I notion. think Imogen
2: is exactly right as well. It-
0: You mentioned that earlier as well. I think it's because you're in (laughs) L.A. and, you know, all the sunniness and positiveness is getting to you. Uh,
1: I I would just say this in closing, though. I think that, uh, you know, LiquiNet's for goods approach, uh, we call it corporate impact uh, to distinguish it from maybe a a notion of corporate social responsibility or corporate philanthropy. uh, What I think corporate social responsibility, CSR is more of a, as you say, a risk mitigation uh, kind of play or a PR play. And, And I think corporate philanthropy can sometimes be seen as uh, more of a feel-good play. And and what we're trying to uncover is that th- there are enormous amounts of resources that companies have, that companies today uh, have all kinds of uh, tools and platforms and technologies and talents and brand capital and intellectual capital and data and distribution networks and supply chains and all these assets. And uh, for, for us, it's, it's a shame if we have at companies all these different assets and most companies only think about maybe having... Uh, a, a small, small fraction of those financial resources apply to philanthropy and a small fraction of their talent resources apply to like a day off for volunteering. Um, and so for us, corporate impact is all about how do you tap into uh, that enormous spectrum of assets that, that companies have and put them to, uh, to, to activate them for maximum social use. And I, I think that uh, uh, corporate venture capital with an impact uh, lens around it uh, is just one tool among many. So it's one tool uh, among uh, all the tools that companies have, uh, their business lines themselves, their charitable budgets, their their employee base, their technologies, their business partnerships that they can have to, to be activated. So I think it's very exciting and promising that we see these examples of, of other companies who are using corporate venture capital as one of their tools to affect impact.
2: Brian's been hiding out as a host all these, all these weeks on the podcast, but... Um, just get him going and, and off to the races.
1: And you'll never get me to stop. Uh, so I think that's going to do it. I think that's going uh, to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Uh, hopefully in future episodes, I will uh, not be the subject as much as the, uh, the you've facilitator. Got, you've got two
0: journalists interviewing you. That's, I know. That's a, a lot of pressure. Uh,
1: but thank you, Imogen. Thank you. And thank you, David. Thanks to both of you. And special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha. Be sure to sign up for Impact Alpha's newsletter, The Brief, providing daily news and actionable intelligence for the growing number of people working to build an inclusive, resilient, and yes, prosperous future. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening to Returns on Investment.